You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek podcast. This episode presented by Associate Minister Julie Blinko. Good morning, I'm Joe. I'm Brennan. And we are bringing this morning's reading from our lounge room. It's from the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 2, verses 5 to 17. If anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent. Not to put it too severely, the punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Now instead you ought to forgive and come Comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. Another reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive... I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Now, when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are an aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to God. What do these three things have in common? Quick quiz for you. We've got a bush of coriander. We've got some Vegemite and a believer in Jesus. Having spent a lot of time in Southeast Asia in the past years, I grew to love coriander. It could be added to salads, dumplings, a welcome addition to uh, a lot of the different noodle dishes that they have as well. I thought I hit the jackpot last year when I grew some in the backyard. It added joy to most family meals there as well. And I was genuinely surprised, almost concerned, when I found out that someone in our office hated it, hated the aroma, hated the thought of it. When I gave him a sample and I said, what does this smell like? I thought he might say soap, you know, a bit of internet research showed me that that might be the response, but no. He said coriander smells like hate. He's such a nice, great guy otherwise and fantastic on tech. Still perplexed about that one, but apparently certain foods really do taste strikingly different to different people. Personally, I'm not a fan of Vegemite, but I know in Australia I'm the minority in that one. 
And in this passage that we've just heard, we're told that Christians have a smell which is equally divisive, like a controversial cologne. To those perishing, we're an aroma that smells like death. To those being saved, a pleasing aroma that brings life. I experienced this personally probably most strikingly a couple of years back. I was working in a role a bit like a university chaplain, and I was quite upfront and honest with people when they asked what I did. I spoke with maybe about 100 people a week and just encouraged them to be thinking about faith and usually left with them with thoughts, was interested in what they had to say. When they heard what I did, the reaction guaranteed was one of two. Either they'd be open body language, quite curious, interested, oh, wow, tell me more about that. Or iPad shut down, earplugs in, sometimes walking away. When it first started happening, I was like, oh, ouch. But once I understood why, I came to expect it. You see, the aroma of the knowledge of Christ explains it. Have you had a similar experience in your life where someone shut down the minute you've brought up faith? Perhaps it's a fear. I don't want to share my faith because I know that might happen. Yeah, sure, there might be a positive response, but maybe they'll end relationship with me. Maybe I won't get that promotion coming up. Maybe I won't be invited in that group sort of hangout anymore. Fear of rejection hurts, and it's a real thing. Even when you know it might not actually be about you, it might be about their response to the God you've put your faith in, or about what God is doing in your life at the moment. Sometimes you never even know the impact that God's having through you. Personally, there was a couple of years back, when I say a couple, probably like more like 20 years back, and there was a person in the office, she was lovely, but she was really standoffish and rude to me, and I couldn't understand why. It began to really hurt. I'm like, what have I done to this lady that she just seems to have so much animosity towards me? I put it down to the fact she didn't like me and came to peace with that and realised that's her choice and moved on. Well, about 10 years later, I got an email from her. And I was quite surprised to hear from her and to say, I've come to a faith in Jesus. I wanted to let you know. And she said, I also want to apologise to you for being so rude with you to you when I worked with you. Oh, so she knew about that. She said, what it was is I'd rejected God and didn't want anything to do with him. And every time I saw you, it reminded me of that decision I'd made with him. And so I hated seeing you as a result. She apologised and I was deeply grateful for her humility and, um, and reach out and explaining it to me. I had no idea that was happening at the time, but the aroma of the knowledge of Christ was at work. Take courage that God is at work in you, even when you don't know it, even when it feels like rejection sometimes. Mind you, we sometimes like to say, oh, it's God at work in me, but sometimes we're just acting like a jerk. And if we're acting like a jerk, it's best to stop that and to make amends. And sometimes we genuinely smell, and it's probably time to have a shower. But this scripture here is talking about something deeper than that. Let's have a look at it. It's an aroma that we carry that's nothing to do with perfume or cologne. Verse 14 to 16, if you've got your Bibles open, which I encourage you to do, read along with me. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the knowledge, sorry, spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. That controversial cologne 
is from the aroma of the knowledge of Christ. And it says in verse 14, thanks be to God who leads us as captives in his triumphal procession. Why are we thanking God for being led as a captive? What's that about? Being a captive isn't usually something we celebrate. In fact, it's something we resist. We hate giving up freedom. Australia's reeling at the moment through being confined and so many of our freedoms being surrendered for the safety of others, though that be a good thing. Why would we be thanking God who leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession? Well, I'd suggest it's all to do with who's won the victory. You see, back then in Rome, you'd have a triumphal procession after a military victory. It'd be a way of the Romans parading their conquest. Look how strong we are. Look what we've won. Look what we've defeated. Our might and power is on display. We are the champions. If you were a Roman oppressor or on that side, it was something to celebrate. If you were the captive, you were likely being dragged through the middle of that procession, smelling like blood and the spices that laced the ground. Death and imprisonment awaited that captive. The procession draws to mind Christ's journey on that road to Calvary. He too experienced the jeers and the taunts of the crowd around him likely smelling like blood and the spices that were preparing him for what's to come. Death awaited him. Yet through his resurrection, death was not where it ended. Through the resurrection, he disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them at the cross. So in him, rather than the victory and power of the oppressors being on display, Jesus' victory over every form of death and captivity is on display. He overcame it to set others free. The blind seeing, the deaf hearing, the brokenhearted being restored, all things being made new in our lives. Still not convinced that being a captive is a positive thing, even if it is to someone who is setting people free? I guess the way I think of it is twofold. One of them is it's a willing choice. It's a free choice. No one's forced to follow Jesus. No one's forced to join his triumphal procession. It's a choice we make. The second thing that helps me is that Jesus, we're told he is the exact representation of his heavenly father. And we're told about his heavenly father that God is love. So Jesus is love. By us joining in his triumphal procession, being led by him, we're joining in a a procession that celebrates love, compassion, mercy. We're a captive to the love of Jesus and being loved by God. A captive to his mercy and goodness towards you, captivated by the things of the kingdom of God. Being in Christ's victory parade is one when we are united with him and he uses us as a display of God's victory. You are a trophy of his grace. You are an example of the love of God on display. God is using you to spread the aroma of the knowledge of Jesus around you to the people you know. And he's doing that in as many ways possible, wherever he can, far greater than what we could ever imagine, and is something worthy of giving thanks to God for. The aroma of Christ is there to spread the knowledge of Christ and is part of our new identity in him. We act different, we are different, because Jesus has done something new in us. Now, if we go to the scripture here, the Apostle Paul, 
switching back, is writing to the Corinthians. And he's telling them about the kingdom of God. Sorry, just following, finding my place here. So basically Corinth was like, if you can imagine, a really raucous university town. Drug, sex and rock and roll. Although back then it was drug, sex and probably idols. And he was telling them, you're no longer a part of that culture. You're living in it, but you've got a, a uh, identity that's far greater than being one of the Corinthians. You've got an identity that tells you you belong to God. You're known by him. You're loved by him. And as a result, some things will change as a result of him in you. And this letter is explaining that. This section is explaining that. I don't know if you've experienced culture shock. Perhaps you're experiencing a lot of culture shock at the moment. Here we are doing church online. Here we are in our homes watching through devices. And in some ways, there's new opportunities that are coming from that, new doors opening. But you might find you're grieving a little the things that are being left behind. You might be grieving a little the things that you really relied on and you're like, okay, I'll let go of that for now because there's new ways of creating meaning here. It's a bit of a culture shock, these new ways. A little while ago, I went to my hairdresser. She said she went to a church. She knew I worked in a church and she decided to tell me about her first experience of church. Well, of course, I was interested. Tell me about it. It was really, really weird, she said. Oh, what was weird? She said, it was just bizarre. They talked about fruit all the time. Fruit? I had a little giggle because I figured the fruits of the Spirit are descriptors about Jesus. And I, I don't know that the, the pastor had maybe drawn that link. And she just kept hearing fruit, 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 fruit the whole way through and thought it was so bizarre. So I had a giggle and I said, anything else? And she said, yeah, that wasn't the worst of it at all. What happened? Everyone got these little pieces of paper. Little pieces of paper. What are you talking about? What did they do with them? They ate them. She was horrified. Little circle pieces of paper. Again, I laughed and realised how different church culture can be to people who never go to it. And I explained to her what communion was about and that it probably represented um, the body and blood of Jesus, which was even more bizarre to her. And we just agreed to disagree on that for the time. The point is, point is, it was a culture shock. And for the people that were living in Corinth at the time, the clashes of two kingdoms were so different. As they came to know the kingdom of God, one that represented his love, his authority, his power, it was radically different to the one they knew. And you see, as the Apostle Paul was writing to the Corinthians, they were experiencing that same clash of cultures where two kingdoms were coming into power, two king the clash of two kingdoms, where the love and power and authority of God was on display. And as a result, things started to change. You know when you buy a new car, that's, there's that new car smell? Well, it's a bit the same as when you become a new Christian. It's a bit like a new person smell. You are being used to spread the aroma of the knowledge of Jesus everywhere. He is using you to draw people to the love of God, to reveal the love, character, presence and smell of Christ to those around you, to show the message and meaning of the cross. Now, when you hear that, like Paul in verse 16, you might respond the same way. Who is equal to such a task, he says. It's humbling to consider what an honour that is. Yet we are empowered and enabled by Christ's power at work within us. 
when he writes to them of this new identity, in this section of text, we see four points that he makes clear. First point is that we have been forgiven by God and we are called to forgive others. We have received mercy from God and we are called to show mercy to others. Mercy triumphs over judgment. For example, in first verses 5 to 11, we're told about a man who was creating strife in that community. The community had ostracised him and punished him. And the Apostle Paul could have come in and said, yeah, make him pay. Make an example of him. Find him. Show him that he's not to do that. But instead, the Apostle Paul says, enough. Forgive and comfort him in his sorrow and affirm your love for him. Make the divisions between you smaller and not larger. Is there someone in your life at this stage that you're feeling that little niggle in your heart that you too need to make the divisions smaller and not larger? Is there someone that's wronged you that it's the time to show forgiveness and mercy to rather than judgment and upper-handedness? Remember that unforgiveness is like a mousetrap. Don't be tempted by the cheese. The second point of this new identity, verse 17 you were a sent one, sent by God. Recently, we prayed for new friends, Julie and Christine, who are preparing to go to Timor-Leste. And we know that when they go, there'll be an answer to prayer for many. Many people will be so grateful to hear them, to receive their teaching, their discipleship. But let's not be naive. There will be some in that community that don't want Jesus' followers amongst them. The smell of that will be to them like death, as the passage says. Yet they go, compelled by love and trusting in his call on their life. Now, when we think of sent ones, we often think of people that are going overseas, but I encourage you, you are a sent one right here, right now, in your neighbourhoods, online, in your businesses, in your families, in your driveways. You are one that's sent by God and you bring the aroma of the knowledge of Christ to others. In doing that, realistically, we'll all face the same sort of thing. Some people will love it, some people will hate it. What does Jesus say in response to this? Well, he denied himself, picked up his cross and followed. To me, I believe the cross is anything that's a challenge, that's part of your life in this season. So for some, that cross might be the fear of rejection. For some, the cross at the moment might be not being able to see loved ones grow up not be able to see loved ones in person to comfort them. For some, that cross might be there's a real challenge in work or rocks you just, that shake and things that were usually firm are now unsteady. These are things that we can lay afresh and surrender to Jesus, putting our trust in God and carrying on as he leads us forward. The third point in verses 12 to 13 Paul's letter shows how God led him and guided him. And he does the same with you. He'll give you peace of mind. He'll give you a peace that passes understanding. He'll open doors for you that no humans can shut, ones that bring life. It often looks like another door closing, but as we put our trust in him and see that next step, his goodness unfolds. And finally, we're on the winning team. This isn't like a battle of good and evil like we see in movies where it's the goodies and the baddies and, you know, along the way 
different ones have upper grounds and three quarters of the way through there's some big battle and then a little twist and finally, usually the goodies win, hooray. It's not like that. You see, we know how this plot ends. Christ rose from the grave. He is victorious. God is victorious and he's for you. We're on his team. Knowing that, and in conclusion, take heart. You are known and loved by a victorious God. Be bold and courageous in the works that he gives you to do, because in doing so, you're spreading the knowledge of the aroma of Christ everywhere. Don't be surprised when we're on that triumphal procession if things get tossed around and a little bit shaky at times. He says, keep our eyes on him and see what he does with an available life. I encourage you to think about this when you're having lunch today. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek. 